Um, again, as was mentioned, this is a what we typically call a family-style service. We don't have these very often, maybe three, four times out of the year. Um, there's a handful of reasons as to why we do them. I won't necessarily bore you with the details as to why we go into that, but uh, the big idea that we want to really try to do is uh, to be intentional about that, which is the big idea is to recognize we are a multi-generational community of God's people, which means sometimes it does feel and can feel a little bit messy as a larger gathering of people of all ages, but that's okay. That's okay. The church has always operated that way. Um, I think ever, if we become a community that just becomes hyper-focused upon uh, things looking overly polished and clean and orderly, probably something's wrong, right? We are a community of people that are all in process of growing. We welcome the fact. So again, if you are someone that is used to not having kiddos in here, it's an opportunity for you to expand your horizons and accept and embrace the messiness of what we call family life, just being able to be together. So glad you guys are here joining with us here today. Again, a family style service uh, is oriented in such a way where it's a little bit shorter in length and duration of time, but also intended to be a little bit um, interactive. So with that being said, what I want to do today is uh, in, in, in light of the fact that over the past, literally the past month, within a month's period of time, there are two major uh, federal holidays that are Aimed around this particular theme of freedom, just out of curiosity. In fact, when I ask, this is going to be a little bit of a Q&A for uh, little, little ones. So if you are under the age of, let's just say, 11, um, you are allowed to enter into this. In fact, do I happen to have the microphone? Oh, it's right here. It's always kind of fun when we do this. You never know what you're going to get. Um, I, I'm looking for a couple volunteers, kids that would help answer just a couple questions for me. Who wants to help answer some questions for me? Raise your hand. Okay, come on down. Come on down. Oh, both of you guys. You guys, it's all good. Come on down. Look at these guys. All right, anybody else? I'll take a couple others. Two more. Two more. Who, come on down. Come on down. All right, here we go. Come on down. All right. So, does anybody want to take a guess as to what holidays that we have coming up, but that have been within the past four weeks. Any, any guesses what those holidays are? Not really. No? Do you know what the holidays are? You don't have any idea? Do you have any idea? Um, you guys know what a holiday is? Okay. Yeah. What's a holiday? And a holiday is um, when you get together. Yeah, that's good. Good. Cool. You guys know what holidays coming up or is around? Fourth of July, good job. Any any other holidays on the docket? The one tomorrow. One tomorrow, right, good one. Okay, so there's two holidays. I'll tell you what they are, and I'm going to ask you guys a question in just a moment. So the two holidays that we've had within the past month that actually are oriented around one theme, one word that we're going to look at here this morning. It's the word freedom. There's two holidays that are oriented around the idea of freedom. So the first one, I'll just tell you, it's kind of a little bit one that might not be well known. It's called Juneteenth. Juneteenth, it has to do with the emancipation of slaves that took place almost uh, a while ago, but it took place in uh, the state of Texas, and it was a, a holiday intended to acknowledge and to celebrate the fact that human beings are no longer enslaved by their human, human beings. So they were free to be free citizens of the United States of America. Um, the other holiday that is oriented around freedom is what we call Independence Day. We celebrate that tomorrow, the 4th of July. What do, what do you guys do on 4th of July? You guys do anything special, fun? Um, 
we sometimes stay up a little late. Stay up a little bit late. Sometimes around the campfire. Around the campfire, cool. You guys, anything fun that you guys do? Um, I decorate my bike. Decorate your bike, cool. Um, Fourth of July, I do two fun things. I get to decorate my bike, and on Fourth of July, is my birthday. It's your birthday tomorrow? Is it really? <laughs> nice, 21st. Okay, that's cool. Nice, that's awesome. Give me knuckles, man. Happy birthday on the June on the twenty first. What, what are you doing tomorrow? I hang out with family and friends. Oh, that's good. What do you, What about you? Uh, my favorite things is I decorate my bike and and go to church. Oh, that's awesome. Go to church. I love that. That's cool. Okay, so I'm gonna have one more question for you guys, and we're gonna have you guys can all go sit down. And the, hold on, just a sec. So the big thing that we're going to be looking at here this morning is the subject of freedom, the idea of freedom. What do you guys think freedom is? Do you know what freedom is? Freedom is um, when you get... I don't really know. You don't really know? Okay. Want to help? Freedom is when you are not um, getting... uh, People are telling you what to do. That's pretty good. You have any ideas of what freedom freedom is? Okay. All right. You have any ideas on freedom? You don't know how to explain it. Okay. All right. Perfect, guys. Thank you so much. Let's give these guys a round of applause. Thank you. You can go see them. So the thing I want to look at here this morning, and again, we'll keep our words brief, um, is the idea of freedom. Freedom is central to human experience, uh, human flourishing, and existence. And where freedom is, we are wired in such a way where we're, we, we should be acknowledging it, uh, being grateful for it. And when it's not there, we acknowledge it as well, and we tr- try to fight for it to obtain it. So what we know about freedom is that it is a central part of all of that. So with that being said, what I want to think about now is how does Jesus actually think about freedom? Because the idea of freedom is something that's deeply linked to the Bible and the entire story of the Bible, from Genesis 1 all the way through to the very end, that God actually cares about freedom. God cares about freedom. But it would not be shocking to know that typically God's definition of freedom is oftentimes slightly different than how we would typically think of freedom. I think it's common to think in our Western world that freedom is really just being able to do whatever it is that we want, whenever we want, and how we want. In fact, that definition, I would say, the Bible would claim, is actually a new form of enslavement. Because what ends up happening is that if we become a slave just simply to ourselves, we're in a new cycle of slavery. We may not be under the oppression of somebody else. We are now under the oppression of our own desires and longings that oftentimes keep us bound. Jesus actually has a unique way of thinking about freedom. And I thought it would be kind of fun today to just think about that. So the big question I want for us to think about is how would Jesus actually define freedom? Let's first of all think about an actual definition of freedom. I think we have a slide for that as well. If you can read that, it says this, freedom, the condition. This is actually just straight from a screenshot from the interwebs. Uh, The condition of not being in prison or captivity is kind of similar to what was already said. The condition of being free of restraints, especially the ability to act without control or interference by another or by circum, uh, circumstance. And then you can read the last one. But you get the idea. What I really want to focus on is just how does Jesus 
think about freedom. Because I think what we discover here this morning is that Jesus has a really unique, specific idea in mind when he thinks about freedom. In fact, if you want, you can open up to the book of John, chapter 8. I want to read a couple different passages for you. Then we'll watch a little video. Then we'll kind of close with some final thoughts on this idea of what freedom is. Um, and also, just as a highlight, you can also think of this as sort of like an introduction trailer to what's up and coming. In fact, in the fall, towards the end of summer, beginning of fall, we're going to be starting a brand new series in our church on Sunday mornings going through the Gospel of John, which today is the official day to announce. I'm really excited about that. We haven't gone through an actual like story-type gospel account for quite some time, so I think it'll be a really great moment for our church to enter into the story of what the gospel has to say, just the narrative of the gospel of who Jesus is and what Jesus is inviting us into. Uh, we will be finishing up the uh, letter to First Peter over the next several weeks, and once that's done, we will be then migrating into the Gospel of John. Uh, I thought it'd be kind of fun by way of introduction, like I said, by trailer, to just kind of get a little bit of a highlight as to what we can expect from the Gospel of John. So John chapter 8, verse 81 through 84, and then verse 30, or, sorry, John chapter 8, verse 31 through 34, and then verse 36, and then we'll skip on down, down to John chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. So you can just go ahead and listen along as I read this. Verse 31 of John chapter 8 says this, Then Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus has in mind this idea of freedom. As he's speaking to these people, verse 33, he says, They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. We have never really been truly enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus then answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Then he goes on down in verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So in Jesus' mind, he has this idea that hum, human beings, humanity in general, is actually enslaved to a force, a power that oftentimes keeps it bound. And that force needs to be broken. And what Jesus has in mind, there is a way to break that. And the way that that is broken is by way of entering into relationship with Jesus, and he describes it this way. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And his whole idea of knowing the truth is not just simply knowing certain facts or data points about Jesus or who God is, but it's obedience, living in obedience and right relationship to God. And if we don't do that, what ends up kind of filling the vacuum or the void is our desires. Our desires take over. Our desires are what lead us. Our desires are what compel us. Our desires are what fuel us. And we become slaves to those desires. Jesus says, I've come to break that cycle of enslavement, to set you free, to give you new desires, so that in having those new desires, you become someone that loves, honors, serves, and is devoted to the ways of God. And Jesus says, in that new relationship is what he describes as freedom. Freedom. Freedom to fully be all that God intends you to be. That's truly freedom. Now, skip on down to verse 1 through 4 of John chapter 17. I'm going to read this real quickly because I think as we think about this idea of freedom, I think it's possible to say that the idea of freedom 
equals the concept of eternal life. I think if you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, what is freedom? I think Jesus would probably perhaps put it, and I don't want to put words into Jesus' mouth, and I think this is a safe way of saying this. I think Jesus would say that eternal life is what actually leads to freedom. In other words, life that comes from another realm, empowering, fueling human beings to live in a different way than what is the default mode of our hearts. And you watch a little video clip in just a moment that goes into greater length and depth explaining that. John chapter 17, verse 1 through 4 says this, Jesus had lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus anchors this idea of eternal life in a relationship. He says, those who know the Father, those who have relationship to God, those that are devoted, similar language that Jesus says, if you obey me, you will break that cycle of enslavement to sin, simple proclivities that hold on to the heart. So I think there's a, a deep parallel uh, or at least a connection between the idea of eternal life and freedom. So again, Jesus in his mind thinks of freedom as being on par with the idea of eternal life. With that being said, I want to jump now into a little video that goes into a greater length explaining the idea of eternal life. So they're going to roll it for you. So just take the next few minutes and hopefully enjoy what the Bible Project people created for you. If you know very much about the story of the Bible, you've probably heard that Jesus offers eternal life. Sounds nice, but what does Jesus mean by eternal life? Well, Jesus adopted this phrase from the Hebrew scriptures. In English, it's translated eternal life or sometimes everlasting life. But the phrase literally translated from Hebrew is life unto the age. Life unto the age. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a dense phrase. And to understand it, we need to first talk about what an age is in the Bible. Let's do it. So the Hebrew word for age is olam, and it refers to a period of time. What length of time? Well, any length of time, actually. And it can be in the past or in the future. What matters is that it's a period of time with some common attribute that remains constant. So, for example? So, like the time of Abraham and his descendants all the way up to Moses. The common attribute is it's the time of Moses' ancestors. And so Moses can say, remember the days of the age, the years of past generations and elders. Okay. Or an age can be shorter and in the future. Like Samuel, who's going to spend his whole life serving in the temple. During his dedication, his mother Hannah calls this an age. So an age is a period of time that has a unique and constant characteristic. Exactly. And there could be all sorts of different ages, depending on what you want to focus on. You got it. And so someone could live in two ages at the same time if those ages happen to overlap. All right, so back to the phrase, life unto the age. What age is this talking about? Okay, so in the beginning of the biblical story, humans are made from the dust of the ground. This is a common biblical image for creatures that are mortal, that is, they live in an age where they could die. But God takes humanity and places them in a sacred garden where they're invited to experience a new and deeper kind of life. By eating from the tree of life. Yeah, we're told it offers them life unto the age, a life of infinite potential because it connects them to God's own divine life. But the story takes a turn. 
and instead of accepting life unto the age, they eat of the tree of knowing good and bad. Right. Taking from this tree means seizing life for themselves on their own terms, apart from God's wisdom. And so they're exiled from life unto the age, and they go into the age of death. They mistreat each other. They do what's right in their own eyes. Things get really violent. Exactly. And so the whole rest of the story of the Bible can be thought of as a choice between two different ages. The age of life on our own terms that leads to death or the age of God's own life. And while humanity has rejected God's life, God promises he'll open the way back. Exactly. And it's that promise that ultimately leads the story to Jesus. He's presented as God's own life become human so that both ages overlap in him. He lives in the age of mortality and death and in the age of eternal life at the same time. And so he can offer people access to life unto the age. Right. It's like what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Yet, just like humanity rejected God's life in the garden, Jesus was rejected and put to death. But God's life is more powerful than death. And so Jesus rises from the dead, and he can offer God's life to others. Like the Gospel of John also says, Whoever trusts in him will not perish, but has eternal life. That is, life unto the age. Cool. Now, most people think of eternal life as something that happens after you die. But in the Bible, access to this age is something I can have right now. Yeah, remember, Jesus was the place where the age of God's life meets the age of death. And that means that when people trust him, they can experience eternal life here and now. But we also still live in the age of death. So what happens when I die? Well, just like death couldn't overpower God's eternal life in Jesus, similarly, we can remain alive to God even if we're physically dead. In the Bible, this is called being with Christ. And it's not talked about very much because it's not how the overall biblical story ends. The focus of the Bible is about when the age of life completely overcomes the age of death. And those who are with Christ are recreated to share in God's eternal life. A world where the age of death no longer has any power. Exactly. Because life that is fully connected to God's own eternal life and love is a life that will never end. And that, honestly, I think is one of the best descriptions of what freedom looks like. Freedom to fully enter into all that God has. In fact, if I were to kind of put it into some sort of a summary, I would put it this way, that what eternal life is or freedom really is all about is that freedom directly comes from God. It's sourced in God. It's rooted in God. In fact, the founding fathers of our country recognized that the idea of being freedom or the pursuit of happiness actually was anchored. It was tethered to a belief, not necessarily in the Judeo-Christian God, but in a God. In other words, something beyond this normal realm. Again, as Christians, we would anchor it and say that can be a flimsy argument to just kind of create some sort of ethereal spiritual being out there. But as a Christian, we would say it's deeply tethered to God himself. God himself is the author of this. God gives this because God is a free agent himself. God invites human beings to live, not just simply as free agents doing what we want, when we want, how we want, but in a way that's connected to the overall whole that God says this is how humanity and life 
and this world functions best. As we unite, as we come together, as we love one another, as we serve one another, as we embody the way of Jesus. So first of all, we recognize that freedom comes directly from God. Secondly, we also realize that freedom connects us directly relationally to God. So what Jesus says that eternal life is this, that you might know God. Christianity, at its very core, is not necessarily about learning certain theological ideas about God. It's not just simply having certain data points correct or right about who God is. That's important. In other words, what you know about God is important. It's not the most important thing. It's not the only thing I should put it that way. It's not the only thing. Uh, Some would use a phrase to describe it. It's not just simply a learned theology, but a lived theology. The idea is learned theology is you can read a book, you can listen to a bunch of podcasts, you can take a seminary graduate level class, and you can learn information about who God is. You can call that theology. But that does not guarantee, that does not mean in any way, shape, or form that you as a human being will live in a way that looks like, acts like Jesus. That comes through what we would describe as a lived theology, meaning you take what you've learned about God And through an act of repentance, confession of your sin, and devotion or faith or confidence in who God is, your life begins to look like Jesus, act like Jesus in a way. We would call that doing good, living good. What we like to say as a church, that God is taking a bunch of people like you and I, and he's transforming us to become people that love God, first and foremost, love others on a horizontal level, but then also do good. Do good. This is what God is up to in this world. And we want to partner with that. We want to be part of what God is up to in this world. We don't want to live in defiance to that. We don't want to say, God, you're you're doing this, but we want to do this. That's not what the church is. As people shaping our identity around who God is, it looks like being in direct, connected relationship with God. Some would say that Christianity is not simply about a religion. It is about a relationship. And again, there's nuances that I would not necessarily spend time to parse out, but the point that I'd make is, is the general idea is true, that God does want relationship with us. That might be scary for some of us. The thought of having a God that just has a checklist of do's and don'ts and you doing your very best to abide by that feels in some ways safer than having a God that we are transparent in front of. We have to have relationship. We have to somehow come into connectedness with him and confess areas and where our lives are maybe not in alignment with him. That can be painful because it requires oftentimes acknowledgement of areas where we don't necessarily line up with God. But that's what the Bible describes is all the relationship that God invites us into. So number one, freedom comes from God. Number two, freedom really connects us to God through this relationship. And then thirdly, we see that eternal life and freedom compels us to help others experience God's life-giving freedom. In other words, people that have been set free, people that have encountered Jesus, want to invite others that are still living in a place of brokenness or enslavement to come in and to experience that. And I want to end on a very practical note and just for us to consider and think about who are people maybe in our lives right now that have not yet encountered or experienced the grace, the goodness, the kindness, the, the cleansing, the freedom that Jesus offers. This is an amazing opportunity for us to just to consider, to think about who are those people that we know, maybe neighbors, friends that we are connected to, people that maybe we work with, and think about ways that we can actively engage with them. 
Might look like inviting them into our house around a table. Might look like having, you know, 4th of July meal with them, eating a hot dog, riding a bike, spending some time with, inviting them into our lives, inviting them to gather to come with us to church or whatever. The big idea is think about those that Jesus loves, that he gave his life for, that we are the conduit because God is freed us. He's shown us his kindness, his goodness, his grace, and then he uses us, empowers us to help bring forth that message of freedom to others. So with that being said, I want to finish and have Dan, I want to have Dan come on up and I want to finish just with singing just the chorus of the goodness of God. And how about we all stand as we do this? One of the things I want for us to consider and think about is I've been reflecting upon this over the past couple of weeks. Um, the Bible describes a, a dark force, a dark power as Satan or the Satan in the Bible and describes the Satan as being this accuser, the one that is out to influence humanity. Uh, it describes him as a liar and a thief and a murderer, uh, one that brings death, one that brings lies, the one that brings division. If you just pause and think about our world that we live in right now, our world is more divided than ever before. Our world is more filled with lies and being propagated more than ever before, misinformation. And our world is more so filled with death than ever before. And as I look at the landscape of many who especially claim the name of Jesus, it's, it's easy for us to lose the plot line and then begin to turn inward on each other and become part of the same divisive campaign. We get swept up in our own little poles and our little angles and our little silos and we become part of the problem. And yet, I think sometimes it's healthy for us to step back and say, man, what's happening in our world today is a direct influence of the evil one. That Jesus has come to completely defang, dethrone, and destroy. And in his place, bring forth eternal life, age-abiding life, otherwise known as true freedom. And we become those instruments, those agents that Jesus says, first of all, I want to act this freedom upon you and then through you, use you as a means to spread freedom throughout this world by communicating the good news of the gospel, that I've come to do something for people. And the story that we see with Jesus is so shocking because even though he is the one free agent in the entire universe, he comes to a cross and allows himself to be bound. The exact opposite of what freedom is. Why? Because he is taking something upon himself that you and I live out every single day, which is enslavement. He says, I will be enslaved to the cross in order to liberate, set you free from sin, death, shame, brokenness, and destruction. And as we finish, I want first just to think about this thought hit me a few weeks ago that the enemy, Satan, as we would describe him, the devil, has no category and no capability of demonstrating gratitude. It's not part of his vocabulary. It's not part of his world. The idea of having gratitude so, in other words, you can look at your life and be like, I, I have no gratitude. You might have to step back and say, well, maybe I'm more reflective of a different father than the one that I think I have. He's incapable of gratitude. People that have been set free. 
people that have encountered Jesus in eternal life that he delivers are filled with means and reasons for gratitude. So as we finish this last song, I want for us just to think about that. What are you grateful for? What are those areas in which God has moved upon your life? What are those areas in which you want God to move, but he hasn't moved yet? That mountain has not been yet moved, but you keep praying that it would one day. What are those areas that you need a miracle, but you haven't yet stepped into that? That's what it means by faith to declare the goodness of God, even in a place where it's still riddled with brokenness and hurt and pain. That's an act of faith. That is an act that God looks at and says, man, glorified by that proclamation. Those are things that God looks at and says, yes, you get the approval, the smile of heaven. So as we sing this last little chorus, let's lift up our voices really loudly and make bold proclamations, declarations of the goodness of God. say thank you for who you are in your goodness even though our circumstances are really bad so God even now we declare your goodness we say thank you for who you are and what you're doing so empower us now Lord as we scatter as we go back into the world as we go back into our lives into our neighborhoods into our families God empower us to be people that live like you look like you act like you We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Y'all set. Amen.